0: Hello and welcome. We're pleased to have you tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett.
1: This story is here for us to learn something from.
0: There are those amongst us who pride themselves on making sure people get the truth. Sadly, they don't always win with their delivery and the fallout is at least uncomfortable. There's a time for honesty, a time for keeping confidence and it should always be motivated and delivered with love. We've lessons to take from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Let's join Dr. Corbett for tonight's message. Then you shall say to them.
1: We're in Jeremiah 38. We're starting at verse 24. We're going down to verse 28. This is part 111 of our Jeremiah series. Now this is, this is an, a very interesting section. and I want to take just a little bit of time. We, we won't be too long, but we'll, we want to look at this because this is going to raise some issues. that When you get into really following christ it's not too long before you're helping people we as christians as followers of christ live out our lives helping other people you can't say i'm a follower of christ but i want nothing to do with people you can't say i'm a follower of christ but i want nothing to do with church you see the fact that you're here this morning you're actually engaged in something you're not just spectating you're not just a pew woman. You're not just sitting on a seat. You right now are a, are a source of encouragement and God's grace to those people in this room as well. Your presence here is not passive. Because of that, you are going to have to deal with people who will become transparent with you. One of the things I was reading this week called uh, The Attractive Church... He likens the church to being a showroom of a a luxury car dealer. In fact, he says he was in England and and a friend of his, the English host, said, have you ever seen a Rolls Royce? And he said, no, would you like to see one? We're about to walk past the Rolls Royce dealership. And this guy from America said, I'd love to see a Rolls Royce. He said, come on, let's, let's, let's go in and look like we want to buy one. So they go into the showroom and there's there's, this, there's all this space and then there's this car, this latest model Silver Shadow right there in the centre and, and, and they go up to it and, they have, and the salesman just comes over beside them. No, you, know, um, you guys don't look like you've got the money to buy one of these sort of vibe. Just comes up and says, it's a beautiful car, isn't it? And they're going, wow, sure is. Handmade, panels, everything's beautiful. Uh, the, the salesman opens the door up and then they see the trimming on the doors. They see all the gadgets. They see the all the fittings. And and the salesman then says these words, which may God bless you with the hearing of these words upon your ears. Would you like to sit in it? And the guy goes, the guy has one of those can I moments and looks at the salesman and says, no, please, please. So he sits in it. He said the seat just kinda welcomed him with a with a welcoming hug, like an old friend. Where have you been? It's been so long, just just oh and he's just soaking in this moment. He puts his hands on the steering wheel and his fingers mould like they've been going there for all his life. And it's like he and this thought occurs to him, This is my car. And he's sitting in it. And he's looking at all the buttons and gadgets and everything's elegant. And he's going, oh, this is my car. (laughs) And as he's having this moment, he snaps out of it and realises, what am I thinking? I can't afford this car, upwards of a million dollars for this car. Gets out of it, leaves the showroom. And and this pastor thinks, what just happened to me? (laughs) And then, as he was thinking this through, he realized wouldn 't it be great if my church was like that experience for people? They came in and it was like wow you 're in, you're in a place where it feels like this, this feels like i 've just come home and i 've had many people say that to me they 've come in for the first time and they go, "Yeah, I just feel like I was at home. Just come in and just feel like at home and so it 's an interesting picture, and here we have this scene and it's called then you shall say to them and you might think this is god saying to jeremiah then you shall say to them it's actually not we're going to see it's the king it's king Zedekiah instructing jeremiah this is what you shall say to people and it's in one sense it's less than honest but i want to show you something because i think this is if it's not all if it's not a source of confusion for for you hopefully by the time we're done i will have confused you enough to show you why it should be a source of confusion for you but helped you to navigate through some of this confusion because as i said if you're in the people helping a game people helping uh, ministry you will come across what we're about to see here you will I guarantee you you will so this is verses 24 to 28 we're starting at verse 24 then zedekiah said to jeremiah let no one know of these words and you shall not die so you recall that Jeremiah has been pulled out of the cistern. He's had a conversation with the king. He, the king has said to him, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah says, yes, it's not too late to repent. Repent means to stop going that way, turn away and turn to. So to repent is to turn away from a life that you're living and to turn to the way God would have you live. And you might think, I can't do that. You don't know how far I've gone or how deep I'm in. And you're right, I may not. But I know this, that God can help you. Even though you've gone a million miles that way, you're only one step from him. And that step may just sound like this, God help me. That may be the beginning of your journey of repentance. And what's at stake here is your eternal soul. Your your immortal soul is at eternal peril i was reminded yesterday as uh, someone was reading first corinthians 5 and first corinthians 6 where paul uses this expression two or three times and those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of god wow wow and one of those things by the way is greed now so here, here we have jeremiah's had this conversation with the king if you repent now you can save your life but if you don't you will die the king says i I haven't got the courage to repent jeremiah says don't fear those people fear god more than you fear people and the king says i don't know if i can do this and as we know reading ahead the king doesn't do it and the consequences are utterly horrific and so we have the king then saying to jeremiah don't tell anyone of our conversation right now. Don't tell anyone what you've just told me. Now, I want to make this point as as uh, we, we sort of hone in on this. For truth to have its fullest impact, it must be combined with love. For truth to have its fullest impact, it must be combined with love. I, I have, maybe um, if you're not already the father of a teenage child then um, boy, have you got some exciting years ahead of you if you're a parent. Because if you're the parent of a teenage child and you're frustrated with the fact that they don't sort of pull their weight and do what they should do, um, you've, it's a real skill as a parent to figure out how you have to change from parenting your pre-teens to parenting your teens to then being there for them when they're older than that. You have to change as a parent. One of the things I've discovered is if you say it to your child, hey, we've told you, I've asked you to do this, now go and do it. You hear the tone. (laughs) And we're all highly motivated when someone uses that tone with us, aren't we? Yes? No, I would have thought not, but anyway... Just, I'm going to have to change my pastoring style here now. If that's anyway, so the other day I, I saw um, that I, I, I came home, I came, up, came, came home from work, came up steps. And there were, I'm not going to say which daughter it was, but it is my only teenage daughter. Um, the, <laughs> her shoes, she's just slumped down her chair. Her shoes sort of scattered up the stairway. And I'm, trying, I'm coming up and I'm having an obstacle course up the stairs. And so you, you, you're exactly right. I have every permission to be frustrated, upset, and to yell Hey my daughter. Thank you for granting me that permission. And so I come in and I'm, I'm thinking, hang on, before I yell and rant at this, because imagine if I brought someone up and they tripped and fell. and Well, no, forget them. What if I tripped and fell? That's more... <laughs> So I I feel I've, I'm justified. But, but the thought occurs to me, I wonder if she's had a good day. Isn't that a radical thought for a dad to think? I wonder if she's had a good day. So what I did was I, I, I put my hands on her shoulder and just looked her in the eye and said, Hey, sweetie, could you move your shoes up the stairs? A bit of a hazard. And blow me over. She did straight away. And there's a little bit of a life lesson for me in that. That if you, if you say the truth in a loving way, you might get a better response. Which is one of the reasons why <clears throat> I think the Launceston City Council actually banned street preaching in the mall. Now, I, I wasn't there when it was getting, at it, getting out of hand. But what I'm told was happening was that there was people from a certain church who were going down to the mall and and yelling at the passers-by that they were sinners who would be damned to hell for eternity. And apparently this was bad for business because people weren't encouraged to come near those shops where these guys were hanging out. And so, the, did, am, I, am I on track? Does anyone remember the Launceston City Council doing this? All right, Elizabeth, who's done 49,000 trips up and down the West Ham High, remembers it. All right, so... <laughs> But it was. That's what happened. Now, why? Because in one sense, what a shame. That, you know, and, and I heard people say, oh, this is persecution against Christians. No, this is persecution against dumb Christians. And I'm on, their, I'm on the persecutor side in this instance. Because yelling abuse at people, even though the words might be true, is not, if it's not done in love, it doesn't have its fullest impact. So one of the best ways that we can communicate hard truth, and again, I, I, bring, I bring the wisdom of Jeremiah from 600 BC or 500, uh, yeah, 600 BC, into the you know the third millennium. I bring it into here and say, hey, you know, this actually has an application in the home with parents to their teenage children. If you're going to say something, let your child know that you love them as you say it. So here's Jeremiah. He's doing this. The next verse, verse 25. If the officials hear that I've spoken with you and come to you and say to you, tell us what you said to the king and what the king said to you, hide nothing from us and we will uh, not put you to death. Verse 26. Then you shall say to them. Now, this is the king, right? Remember, this is the king telling Jeremiah, this is what you are to tell them. I made a humble plea to the king that he would not send me back to the house of Jonathan to die there. So Jonathan was um, where where the, the, the pit was. So, isn't this interesting? The king is telling Jeremiah what to say. And this isn't entirely true. But this is what the king's telling him to say. Verse 27. Then, so Jeremiah leaves the king's presence. Then all the officials did come, they, they came to Jeremiah and asked him and he answered them as the king had instructed him. So they stopped speaking with him for the conversation had not been overheard. In other words, uh, they, they couldn't continue to press him because, well, they didn't know for sure because they didn't hear what he actually said to the king. So they, don't know, they didn't know if he was accurately reporting it or not. So they just had to drop the conversation with him. So... This is, this is intriguing for me. Why, why didn't Jeremiah just tell them what he Well, I told the king that unless that dirty, rotten, no good mongrel repents, he's all going to perish. Why didn't he say that? Because he loved the king and he loved his people. He's a man he's ministering to the highest level of government, the king. And he's sharing with this man at a level of intimate trust. And the king has said, if they ask what you said, tell them that you made a plea with me about where I should detain you. Hmm. Now, that actually was a part of the conversation, but it was only a part of the conversation. And it was the part of the conversation that the king gave Jeremiah permission to retell jeremiah did not have permission from the king to tell anybody what they said now what do we call that we call that confidentiality confidentiality this morning very impressive over the offering lynn said i have permission to tell you this what's going on there confidentiality but I have permission to tell you this i don 't have permission to tell you this, but I have permission to tell you this. so I want you to see a principle here in god 's word because this is this narrative this story is here for us to learn something from here 's jeremiah who 's been pleading with the people to repent. And I'll just just think of that word. How do we normally associate the tone of that word when, when it's uttered? Repent. But doesn't it sound like you're foaming at the mouth? Doesn't it sound like you're saying it in anger? And yet the tone that Jeremiah is using is one where hands are on the shoulder, looking in the eye, with tears coming down his own eye. Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, My eyes, most of the time, were like fountains of water that were bursting forth. That's why he's known as the prophet who wept. And here's Jeremiah, tear-stained eyes, tears running down his face, hands on the shoulders of the king, looking at him, saying, you must, I plead with you, you must repent. It's a completely different tone. Now we have a message of repentance. In fact, the first word, the first preached word we have in the New Testament is the word repent. John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness and he said Repent. First word. The first word we have recorded of anything Jesus preached is the word repent. The first thing Jesus told his disciples to preach when they went out preaching is repent. Tell people they need to repent. But can you see, I hope you're beginning to see, the tone in which God uses that word repent. It's not to beat people up. It's to encourage people to avoid their own destruction. The consequences of not repenting hurt in this life, but hurt infinitely more in the life to come. What you do in this life matters. There is no, there is no indulgence. There is, no, uh, there is nothing you can do after. There's no purgatory. It's this life The next, the Bible knows nothing of purgatory, nothing of in-between. If you didn't repent now, well, at least we can deal with your sin in this other place, in-between place earth and in-between earth and heaven before you get into heaven. No, there's no such place. That's why, that's why it's so imperative that we as Christians share the truth with those in our world. What should confidentiality look like. I want you to understand the difference between being secretive and being someone who knows how to keep confidence. When I started out in the journey of pastoring, I made lots of mistakes. And some of the mistakes I made was someone would say to me, can I tell you this in confidence? And I'd go, "Oh, of course. Then they might tell me the most horrific thing they planned to do to someone. And for me, this this crunched around the time of the, I think it's safe for me to say this now, I don't think I've said this publicly, around the time of the guns pulp mill debate. As you know, I was sort of up to my eyeballs in that. When I actually had made some speculative guesses in a paper that I wrote, then I actually had the people that I suggested were going to do this contact me, meet with me, tell me that this is indeed what they were going to do, and then appeal to me as a minister of religion having to keep confidentiality, and I was painted into a corner. They silenced me. They shut me down because I was naive about what confidentiality really looks like. There is a difference between keeping a secret and keeping confidence. So let me tell you this: if you come to me now and you plan to kill your spouse, and you tell me, "Can I, Pastor? I'm battling with a sin. Can I tell you this in confidence?" and I go, "Why?" Well, course you can well i'm I'm about to go and kill my wife i just wanted to confess it before i did it and i just want to get it off my chest because i feel really guilty about what i'm about to do and i want you to know what i'm about to do but you'll keep the confidence right you 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 keep confidentiality i'll go can i can i just tell you what confidentiality looks like for me it looks like i protect as many people as i can with what you tell me including you (laughs) that's what it looks like So if someone tells me they're about to go and do that, I'm not going to go, Oh my gosh, I can't tell the police. I can't talk this person out of it. I can't tell anyone, warn anyone, do anything about it. That's not how I treat confidentiality. And I could give you some actual examples where I have taken steps to protect people. But I would be breaking confidence if I did it. But I want you to understand that that's how I see confidentiality. It is about the welfare of the most people, not keeping a secret, especially so that someone can do a great wrong. And people respect um, uh, people who keep confidence. We'll see this in a moment, but being honest doesn't mean you have to be naive. You know, th- these guys could have said to Jeremiah, "Come on, are you being honest with us? Tell us what you really said to the king." Come on, Jeremiah, you're an honest. Truthful prophet, aren't you? Yeah, he is. Well, he was, but it doesn't mean he has to be naive. And neither do you. You don't have to be naive. There's some amazing stories that come out of the Second World War. Corrie Ten Boom tells the story of the Nazis coming into their home in Holland and demanding, "Are you keeping any Jews here?" And they were. And she said, "No." Did she do the wrong thing? No, she didn't. Why? Because her confidentiality is protecting people. So we, we, we could enlarge on this, but let, let's let's move on. When someone shares something with you, and you are able to honour their confidence, you can weigh it up. They may they may share a struggle with you. And this week, I heard of a a, a pastor uh, in England who's just recently written a book, actually, on this issue. But he said a few years ago he could no longer hold in his his inner struggle, and he publicly confessed to his church that he was battling with same-sex attraction. Now, that's a that's an interesting one. And as he shared his battle, he said, "I, I want you to understand. I, I understand that Scripture says." That acting out on those impulses is wrong and dishonouring to God. I understand that, but I want you to know I battle with it. And so as he shared that, imagine if he, imagine if he wasn't a pastor. Imagine if he was just someone in this church and they came to you and they shared that with you. And they said, look, I'm, I'm sharing it with you because I want you to really understand me. And I want you to pray. Really, I want you to pray for me. Could you respect that confidence? Because you'll be respected you do jeremiah honored the king's confidence in him by keeping to the confidentiality he was and this is important to understand by not telling the full truth of what this conversation was did not mean he was not a prophet of truth he was a prophet of truth he just knew when to shut his mouth and i think if i can and i'm I want to be as straight with you as I can here. I think there are times when we need to know when to shut our mouth. And there are, there are times when people come and share things with me. And I've, I've just got to carry it. And I can't tell anyone. And that's a part of becoming a mature believer. And if you show the signs of being able to not keep a secret... But keep confidence. See the distinction I'm making. Keep, keep a confidence. Keep someone's trust. Chances are they'll respect you and share more with you. And this is what Jeremiah was doing. But I want you to see he wasn't just a prophet of truth. See, he could have, as I said, he could have just said, this is what the king said. told him to repent. He didn't repent. should have repented. He's too afraid of you guys. He could have said that. He didn't. So he wasn't just a prophet of truth. He was a prophet of love as well. And here's something I want to bring out from this, and I I, I hope you get it. Let's let's go to the last verse here. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And this is a statement that kind of rounds off this section. It's, it just sort of finishes it, and it finishes it here with this statement, the day that Jerusalem was taken. Of course, this is the summary of everything Jeremiah said would happen, and they said for, for 20 years, it'll never happen, and it did happen. So here's Jeremiah being absolutely vindicated. So he could have got, he could have got on his soapbox and said, I told you so, I told you this was going to happen. He didn't. Why? Because that's not a loving attitude. So how does this apply to us as a church, as a church family? Well, I hope it means that we have a commitment to be a church, not just of truth, but of love. And I tell you, we have a real battle because the truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And the moment you declare the truth that God does not endorse everything you want, God does not endorse everything you do, God will not endorse every lust you act out on, it sounds like we're being hateful. When in fact, it's the opposite. We're actually being loving. But we're living in a world that has swapped price tags. We're living in a world where love, real love, now sounds like hate. We're living in a world where people no longer really understand what love is. They think it's gratification. But it's not. It's surrender. So here's the question I have for you. When someone shares with you things in secret confidence, please be a person worthy of that. Please be a person who guards that. Let's learn that lesson from Jeremiah. Let's also learn the lesson that when we share hard things, we say it clearly at the right time. And in a loving way. And, and I think love is a four-letter word, isn't it? And it's spelt T-I-M-E. So here's the question. How have you responded to God's truth and love? Because the truth is we all need to repent. The truth is that if you don't, you risk eternal peril. That's the truth.
0: For the truth to have its fullest impact, it must be combined with love. There's good counsel there from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Then You Shall Say to Them, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lugana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. we look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.